Welcome to the Lubar Executive Education Podcast. In this episode, we'll be talking about strengthening your personal resilience and the resilience of your organization. With me today is Tyler Pygott. Tyler has worked in the marketing, communications, and sales sectors of business for over 20 years. He's the founder and CEO of Loan for Creative, a digital marketing agency, as well as a professional speaker and sought-after business coach. He has a passion for serving other business leaders and seeing their ideas gain traction. His ability to bring analytical thinking and creative problem-solving together to implement new strategies quickly has helped him successfully build his all-remote business. Welcome, Tyler. It's great to have you here today. Hey, thanks for having me, Mike. Before we jump in, let me set the table a little bit. Chronic workplace stress is not a new phenomenon, and nobody is immune to it. The negative impacts of it start with feelings of energy depletion and exhaustion, progressing to increased mental distance from one's job, resulting in reduced professional efficacy and ultimately burnout. This is why it's important for people to strengthen their personal resilience, and organizations are now starting to realize that they have a stake in this too, because after all, people are their greatest asset. And if an organization's culture isn't dedicated to helping reduce chronic workplace stress, it's probably adding to it, which can be costly. In fact, the World Health Organization estimates anxiety and depression disorders cost the global economy a trillion dollars in lost productivity each year. And that doesn't even count the cost to replace people because they leave due to burnout. And having spent many years in HR, I know it costs 90 to 200% of an employee's salary to replace them. So to get us started, I'd like to get your thoughts on how you view the challenge of strengthening resilience and hope we can talk a little bit about how organizations can build and improve their culture to help, as well as how can people, especially those in leadership positions, can strengthen their personal resilience so they can help strengthen theirs. Man, it sounds like a light topic. I can't wait to jump in. (laughs) (laughs) Hope I can share some things that might be helpful for my journey. Absolutely. So what are some initial thoughts here about this challenge that we all kind of face? Yeah, I mean, it's real. You know, I just first off acknowledging the the reality to it, I'd say in, in previous generations, I think it still existed, but um, wasn't acknowledged quite the same as it is now, which is cool. It's cool to see that it's acknowledged. It's cool to see that, that you know, I would say society in general cares about the whole person, mental health included in that more so than ever. And that, and that which is great. You know, it's fun to see that. I think, you know, it, I work in the creative space. I work in the marketing, branding, sales space, and and probably in general, there tends to be more um, uh, feeling in that industry than there is in some industries. You know, if I if I compare that to engineers, that's not necessarily it's, it's a, feelings are still there, but they might not be feelings first kind of thing, if that makes sense. Um, and so I get to be around feelings and ways people feel and experience and process things all the time. And so I yeah, I would say I've gotten a front row seat, if you will, to to kind of seeing anxiety and and worry and much of that be part of the workplace. And I'd honestly say in the last like two, three years with what everyone's kind of gone through as a you know, globally, you know, I'd say it's increased um, in some ways. And for some people it's decreased, maybe they've changed, made some life changes or something, but I would say overall, it's be more of a challenge now than it's ever been. So um, yeah, those are, I guess, a couple of starting thoughts on it. And I can jump off into lots of different areas. Jumping in a little bit more, if people are dealing with worry and and fear and such, what are some things that they can do right off the bat to start building their own resilience and and making that just a little bit stronger? Yeah, that's a good question. You know, honestly, I think that for most people, kind of acknowledging it and and looking for it is really the first step. And and I'm I'm, I'm going to be the first to say I'm not a licensed psychologist or any of those types of things. Um, I've just had my fair share of uh, 
I guess you could call them disappointments, challenges, things that I've gone through or 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 made my way through in life and so have had to figure out ways to kind of cope with it, process it, work through it. And so I think yeah, the first thing that I would say for most people is just acknowledging it, realizing it's real and there's that that emotion is there, that feeling is there. It takes a toll on your on your mind and your body and all those types of things over time and so that's, you know, I've, I've seen several different um, kind of professionals in this space as far as kind of helping me process it and deal with it. And that's a lot of the things that we work on first is just kind of being able the ability to see it and the ability to acknowledge that, okay, got it. I see it. And that's the first thing, you know, and the, the secondarily, you can start to kind of put things, your processes, some systems, whatnot in your life to help you deal with it, help you process it, help you go through it. But the first swing I would say is just for people to acknowledge it and kind of almost just like a I do this quick test. Oftentimes I actually learned this from a, a golfer that I follow. Um, his name's Ben Crane for some of you that might be golf fans. And he has this incredible like kind of mental game, if you will. And if you play golf, most of it's uh, on the mental side uh, comparatively to uh, the physical side, you know, and he has these three questions he's asked after every round for, for like decades. And one of it is, you know, what did I do? Well, um, what did I learn and how can I, what, how can I act on what I learned? And so um, that's like a, been something for me that I've done for a long time, kind of going through each day, especially when seasons are real hard, because you can really go, okay, what what went well? What did I learn? What can I do from what I learned? And it helps kind of almost compartmentalize it, make it smaller maybe than what it might seem. And so you might be overwhelmed or, you know, uh, such a big thing, or, you know, your, your brain's thinking it's so much of life, but this, those three questions kind of do help you make it a little bit smaller. So you can kind of process it and go through it. That's a way to start uh, the process, at least. As someone who advocates after action reviews or postmortems, yeah. as some people call them, uh, we talk about that a lot in our executive program. So I, I like that. Taking this another step, looking back at what happened and what can be better and, and what you can celebrate, that's obviously one approach. But what do you do and what have you done in the past? And maybe what advice do you have for our listeners uh, about how do they show up best when they're processing the challenges and when they're in the moment? I'd say it's like, it's an interesting concept to try to communicate verbally here on a podcast, but um, oftentimes I use my hands to kind of communicate it. But if you kind of think about put your hands on top of each other and, you know, you've got your feelings and you've got your communication and the one hand's one, one hand's the other. And most of the time people will overlap the two. And so their feelings and their communication will all happen at the same time. And, you know, we've been conditioned to do that. So you think about the what gets the most response on social media channels or what gets the most response on a podcast, even if people generally are very opinionated and those are the things that kind of push in a certain direction, whether you, you know, whether you believe in it or not, or, you know, would advocate for it or not, it doesn't make any difference, but that's usually what gets the most traction. And so we've kind of been conditioned to, you know, someone said something, I read something, I processed something, this is how it made me feel. Now I'm going to tell someone either way to go, that's awesome, or the complete opposite. And so one of the ways that I've shown up and helped, you know, process, but also helped our leadership team show up is really, how do you separate those two? And so how do you kind of in, in, ingest something, if you will, you know, through your ears, through your process, through reading, whatever it is. And then oh, I've got an opinion, I've got a feeling about this, this makes me feel a certain way. But then how do you process that separate from how you're going to communicate? Um, I think, you know, when you're processing challenge, you're processing difficult situations, the worst possible scenario is just reacting right away, right? And it can be reacting, can be, you know, oh, I hate this manager, I'm quitting. 
all right, I'm out. You know, like that could be a reaction or it could be a, you know, fire back a quick response. And, you know, most of my examples will be in the workplace, but if you're, uh, you know, in a relationship, in a family, married, any of those kind of things, all of this applies, you know, you take, taking, taking a breath or a beat to how do you process something before you show up? Um, I think that's helped me a ton to kind of try to compartmentalize or separate the feeling of something versus um, like the, I guess, actuals, if you will, of how I'm going to communicate it or process or, uh, or, or get back to somebody or contribute to an organization in any way, shape or form. So does that make sense? Yes, it does. And as I think about some of the experiences I've had in the past and you know, giving a little bit of time uh, and a, a slight gap sometimes before you react to a situation and, and you have enough self-awareness to realize that you know, maybe you're being triggered in one way that uh, yeah. that's not ideal. Just giving yourself a little space to reflect. Totally. Yeah, I've always been fascinated by watching certain people in certain careers and lawyers are really fascinating to me because there, there's a lot of lawyers that are so even keel. You know, they can be yelled at from from whatever it is. Maybe it's someone on the stand or, you know, someone that disagrees and you kind of watch them like process it. And somehow they are so calm. Often there can be people on the extremes, but so often the good ones, you know, are so amazing at processing that whatever is being communicated to them. And then somehow there's something that filter that it goes through that breaks it down in communication. I'm always fascinated by, by that. And you said something just now that tr uh, triggered a thought for me is uh, triggers. You said triggers, you said kind of actions, things that kind of happen throughout the day that you almost like a, a flag that pops up or something like that in your brain. And I would say even jumping back to the first question you asked is kind of how do you, what's the first kind of things that you might recognize through asking some of those questions that I kind of referenced of what you do well, or like, like those are helpful, but I think a lot of it is back to that concept of self-awareness. How, you know, how readily or, or, or uh, good are you at looking in the mirror and kind of going, okay, what happened today? What, what, why am I feeling more stressed today than, than not stressed today? Or you know, was it a sleep thing? Was it a food thing? Was it a, oh, I worked out this morning or I didn't work out this morning. So many different ways in which our bodies and brains process things. And man, I feel like I shouldn't be talking about all this because there's so many people that are so much more educated about this. I'm just giving you people my examples, but I know when you and I chatted a little bit ago, kind of prepping for this podcast, we talked about Ironmans and uh, I've raced a couple Ironmans. So those of you that aren't familiar with Ironmans, they're kind of a, it's a triathlon. And so there's a swimming component, a cycling component, running component, and you smash them all together. And it's this big 10 to 12 to however long it's going to take you to get through it, um, our event. Um, so most of you probably are like, oh my gosh, this guy's completely crazy just by saying what I just said. But um, one of the things that I feel like I learned a lot of racing in Ironmans was the training process. And so, you know, for the most part, like an Ironmans, it's a two and a half mile swim. So 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then a full marathon after that. And so um, it takes about six to eight months of training and you're kind of training 20 to 30, maybe 40 hours a week to get to that spot where you can like compete in that type of an event. And so you're constantly analyzing, you know, you're, you're doing two a days, you're swimming in the morning at four, and then you're working for a couple hours and going for a run at lunch. Or, I mean, you're constantly smashing these things in. And, you know, when you're running on a regular basis, riding, uh, swimming, you are paying attention to how you feel and you're paying attention to, huh, today was a struggle. Why was it a struggle? Oh, you know, I only slept four hours last night or I slammed a quick, you know, uh, smoothie that wasn't good or, you know, whatever you're, you're analyzing all the nitty gritties of what goes into your body and how you're performing and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like that's helped me a lot from a resilience standpoint to really understand how to evaluate you know, how am I doing? What's causing certain things, emotions I'm having, 
things I've gone through and what that's created, um, people's responses to me and how I process that, things that have made me feel heavier or you know, um, more, more complex of how I'm reacting or, or sluggish or whatever. And you're really paying attention to that. And so all those things, I just kind of communicate, you know, applying that towards, you know, we're all in this kind of training marathon is life, right? Where the, most of us don't have the luxury of, you know, oh, I trained for an Ironman. And then I have this, this, this event, like I have this one thing that I do. Yeah, right. We're all like, you know, in and out of schools and in jobs and careers and families and all things. And it's just this long marathon, if you will. And so you're kind of trying to pay attention with what are the things that make it me perform well in that marathon and what are the things that don't. And so um, for those of you that are cardio fitness junkies, I hope that spoke to you. Those of you that are not, I'm really apologize that that was my example. (laughs) I appreciate that example and uh, and sharing such a personal one too, as as someone who earlier before I had kids uh, toyed around with uh, some shorter distance Ironmans. Yeah. Uh, the one thing I learned from one of my coaches was that, you know, training for an Ironman is a very lonely, painful sport uh, yeah. and endeavor. And it, you do learn a lot about yourself. And as I learn more about resilience and how to help people build their resilience, uh, it touches on some things you've already said, which is, you know, sleep, nutrition, movement, uh, self-awareness, things like that. And yeah. Yeah, when you're when you have a lot of time to yourself and you're on the road running, biking, or you're in a pool swimming, yeah, you have to listen to your body and recognize what is happening, what's not happening, and what you need, uh, so you can be more resilient and you can finish your your event, if you will, or when you translate yeah. it into the workplace and get through the day as effectively as possible. Yeah, and I think it's the same. You know, when I think about professional environment, your day is probably made up of communication on emails, on phone calls, on Zoom calls, on whatever that kind of form of communication is probably some other sort of in-person meetings going on. You kind of start stacking all the things that you do during the day. And those are your, your tasks, your projects, the things that make you, you know, function throughout the day. But then it is looking at it very similar to how we're breaking down, you know, training for an Ironman or training for a running event, kind of break it down very similar. Like what is making it so that I do well in that meeting? What's causing anxiety? You know, at the end of the day, I can't sit still you know, I'm just lay awake, lay, lay awake in bed, this can't fall asleep. You know, what are all those things? Like start paying attention to how you process those um, and how, what's, what's uh, contributing to that feeling. And it'll take a while and you're going to, it's like kind of the onion analogy, right? You're going to peel away one layer of it and that'll make a little sense. And then you maybe go a couple months, couple weeks, couple days, whatever, and you're peeling another layer of it. But um, it's a constant thing, but you kind of have to be aware of those behaviors or challenges or things that come up with you, with individuals, yourself, so that you can work on them, so that you can build that resilience. I mean, it's a very con- for me, it's been a very conscious um, task, if you will, or or project for myself. Um, and it's I know it's going to be ongoing, and it's something I can kind of get better at and keep moving forward with. But um, it is a very similar breakdown. If we talk about athletics and how you perform better in nutrition, those are really easy examples. And it gets more complex as you're thinking about, you know, mental strength, if you will, um, and how to kind of sink into that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, no, it's a great examples. It's definitely a work in progress and some days are better than others for sure. And just when yeah. I know, I think I'm getting a handle on something, I might have a little bit of a regression point and uh, you know, <laughs> that keeps me, uh, keeps me on my toes. So totally. Yeah. Well, after getting a handle on your own resilience and, and making some forward progress there, how can leaders do a better job helping those around them with the same type of stuff? How can they combat chronic workplace stress and, and build their own resilience? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, it's kind of a, how do you, 
once you put on your own mask, how do you help others kind of thing, you know, Um, to bring the airplane, airplane mask analogy in there. You know, honestly, I feel like showing up well is probably your, your best bet. Um, Can break that down a little bit, but I kind of call it like shoes of the listener, if you will. And so really showing up in a pretty empathetic state. And, you know, I think that what's really hard is, is that we don't, especially in the world of remote, you know, I run a remote company and there's several staff members that have worked with me for years that I haven't met. I've never met them in person. Everything's been done via Zoom or via Slack or whatever. Now I feel like I'm a technology advertisement, but you really do, you don't know what's going on in the rest of their lives. Like you don't know, you know, maybe there's a, you know, a a marriage thing that happened or a relationship thing that happened at five minutes before they got on the phone call. And so you don't know what else is affecting them. And, um, and so I think showing up fairly empathetically is very important, um, for, for leaders in this day and age. Um, I think there's so many things that are thrown at people that they're having to process and figure out. And so I've kind of always operated in the mindset of, if you see something, say something. Um, and so if you don't know what to say, that's fine. You still say something. It doesn't have to be the most, you know, off the wall quote or, or perfect, you know, scenario, but I think even just acknowledging I think most humans, you know, want to be seen, they want to be heard, they want to be understood. And so um, just, hey, I see you here and it seems like you're a little bit, you know, something's going on or it might be, maybe it's not, maybe it's just me, but um, I'm just kind of just acknowledging that if, if it's something you want to talk about, would love to, if not, no worries, um, but just know that there's grace in this situation. I mean, it can be that simple, you know, and I think I've had to cultivate that, if you will. Like, I mean, it's that's not been like the first time I've said that exact same thing. And there's several different things I can kind of reference to, you know, to kind of just be a part of something. But I think, you know, just, yeah, like I said, showing up and um, empathetically kind of shoot the listeners, what I call it. And so as you're talking about things, presenting things, like when I prep for a staff meeting, I literally will go, okay, what am I going to announce? What am I going to talk about? What am I going to say? Is this a big announcement? Okay. There's several people in our staff that don't do well with change. Okay. Is this a change thing? You know, like it's, you're kind of breaking it down that way. You're, you're not going to be able to soften it for everybody or, or make it more challenging for everybody. You're not going to be able to do one, one size fits all. But I think understanding that even mentioning that and presenting a, maybe a certain piece of information in, in three different ways at the same time, you know, you, Hey, for you, for those of you that are hard on hard time with challenge, this is actually not changing too much. These are the specific things that'll change. For those of you who love challenge, oh my word, this opens up so many doors that we get to jump through, you know, and so you kind of can speak to it and in a way that um, acknowledges how many others are wired and many others are um, how how they're they're functioning or how they process things. I think the other thing that I would say for for most people is really kind of, and I don't really even know how to communicate this, but it's, uh, I keep a staff dashboard and that sounds really official. It's literally a Google doc. Um, but really what I'm doing is I'm paying attention to how people process information. And so, you know, when someone's real stressed or overwhelmed or something, you know, is is causing them to not show up the way that I know that they're capable of showing up, I'm usually jotting a couple notes down. Like we have one uh, leadership, a uh, person on our leadership team that, you know, when they get um, overwhelmed, stuff just starts to glum together and it's really muddy and, they, and and it's really heavy for them. And so then when I see that, I can then talk specifically to that and help them you know, through that, you know, you're kind of help them navigate it. And I'm not talking about showing up, showing up as a therapist or anything to our, you know, meetings, but I think it does help you with your kind of almost like having context around the different things that you'll communicate to people. And so part of it's just that like ongoing natural curiosity, ongoing learning. And my learning is around people. 
I manage a lot of people. And so it's, um, I learn the people I'm learning the people aspects of it. How can be, I be a better communicator? How can I show up better for these people? And so, um, I think that's a, a way that you can show up a little better as you've kind of quote unquote, gotten a handle on <laughs> your own resilience, right. And your own kind of mental health and your own, a lot of those things, um, you can then show up and really help others. One thing to kind of wrap that in a box or put a bow on it, when you do figure that out and you're able to help others, it generally helps your own mental state. Um, because as we kind of give away things, generally it helps us not look at our own challenges or our own shortcomings or, or whatever you'd want to put in that, in that blank line. Um, and so it does actually, it kind of is a great cycle that really helps you. And so the faster you can just be able to give um, and not just expect to receive or just work on your own things, generally it helps you from a, like a mentality standpoint and kind of starts to even eat away at some of the worry or or discouragement or something that you might feel because you're getting to focus on something else than than just that challenge. So I don't, I spent I, a lot of bullet points there. I covered a lot, a lot of different topics, but hope that helps. I think it's very helpful. And as one thing I've learned over the years is it's all about communication and empathy has been even more important. It's always been important, but it's been more important since yeah. the pandemic started. And your shoes of the listener concept is, is totally key. I've heard of a lot of leaders talk about that same type of concept. I like your spin on it. And thank you for sharing that with our audience. Of course. So let's move from the leader's role in helping individuals to the leader's role in helping their organization. What tips do you have when it comes to leading an organization? Tips to leading an organization. Um, you know, man, I would say it starts at the beginning, which is just a clear vision. And oftentimes that vision can come out of, you know, your personal life is just as much as your, you know, a business kind of endeavor, but that clarity and vision really helps drive, you know, forward what you're trying to build in your organization. And so, especially when it's a small organization, you know, the, the, the vision, the the values, the way, the heartbeat of it, if you will, is so linked to the founder or founders, um, comparatively to a you know, company that's been around for 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 hundred years or something like that, where it's kind of has its own heartbeat, if you will. Um, and so, like, really spending a fair amount of time creating that vision, um, you know, where do you want to go, and and almost kind of pursuing an imagined future. And some people, that's overwhelming. That's really challenging. And so I, I oftentimes will just kind of communicate, hey, w- what does life look like three to five years from now? You can say 20 years, 50 years, what do you want to accomplish by the end of your life? But that's for the most part, any age, you're overwhelmed by that because that's just that that's not an actual time frame. But most of us can see three to five years. You know, Mike, you and I were talking before we started, started recording about um, your sons and, and where they're going to school and and that's a great kind of, you know, hey, I can envision, you know, an undergrad degree. It probably takes somewhere between three and five years. Okay, cool. I can kind of envision what their life looks or for them, that's what they're envisioning is kind of that time period. And so that's really helpful to kind of bring it down to a shorter time period. But just where do you want to go? Imagine that future. What sounds fun? What are you passionate about? It's got to be something that gets you out of bed in the morning. And, and I'm talking about it probably from a founder's standpoint and creating an organization. It's got to be the same thing if you're you know, an employee or you're a team member somewhere or you're a contractor coming in. You've got to be passionate about it. You've got to have built a vision for what you're trying to accomplish or what you're trying to do because that helps you make decisions. It helps you kind of be that filter, if you will, to say yes to things, to say no to things, and then sticking with those. Otherwise, you know, life's kind of being dictated to you and you're just kind of going along with the flow. And there's tons and tons and tons of people that do that. There's nothing wrong with that. That's okay. If that's what they've chosen, 
but I'd say probably if you're listening to this podcast, <laughs> you probably have some sort of a desire to maybe do something a little different, or you're maybe driven to go build something or be a part of something bigger than you, or, you know, there's a lot of different kind of aspects to that I'm sure. And so um, it's got to motivate you. It's got to be kind of like your guide, your guide for your day-to-day kind of strategy, if you will, and decision-making. Um, and then the last piece I'd say, if you're leading a team, it's that your vision has to be something that people can rally behind. It's got to be something that gets them excited. It's got to be something you can invite somebody into. It can't just be so personal that, you know, no one else can participate. You, you've got to want it. It's got to be big enough that they're excited about it. They're motivated by it. It's got to be aspirational enough. Um, and so that is a huge task, right? It's, it's a big uh, ask, you know, it's a, it's a, a lot, it can take a long time to kind of figure that out. And I, and I think that's okay. I think it's okay that it takes a while to figure out what your vision is. And it's okay that it might shift a couple of degrees to the right or the left, or as you learn more. And, you know, there's lots of people I know that had this vision to go do this thing. And then, and then they got that thing and, and they were like, I don't like this thing. <laughs> and so then they, you know, would almost kind of back up if you will, and, and kind of recalibrate what they want to do. And I think that's okay. I think it changes in different seasons for people. And, you know, you might have a vision for your life when you're, when you're single, you might have a vision when you get, you know, find a mate, if you will, or find it in a relationship. And you might have a vision when you have kids or, you know, those things can, can, can dictate a lot of what you're, you know, desiring to do or accomplish or, or kind of get behind the importance of that vision is what I've learned. And this is, you know, you can bring up any example you want, but um, what I've learned in life is that direction is a lot more important than speed. And so most of the time, you know, if you're a high achiever, which I'd, I would assume that most people listen to this show at least are, because I've looked at numerous episodes and listened to a bunch of them. All of them are about kind of, you know, how am I getting to the next level? Whatever that is, it's going to look for, for, for different for everybody. Um, but most people probably listen to this, the speed element. Hey, I just want to get started. I want to put points on the board. I want to, you know, I want to get going. And that's great as long as you're going in the right direction. If you've ever missed a turn, you know, on Google Maps or whatever it is, and it reroutes you and it's an extra half hour, shoot, direction was a lot more important than just getting there fast, you know, um, because you're now going to get there slower. And so I think just really letting the vision element um, kind of marinate, if you will, <laughs> and um, kind of letting it kind of um, take take uh, direction as you kind of process it and work through it, I think is really important. Um, and sometimes it happens fast and sometimes it can take a little while to kind of pull together what that vision is, um, for your life. So I don't, does that make sense? I kind of talking about trying to talk about it to individuals and to companies. Yeah, no, I think it's great. And I, I like the fact that, uh, you're talking about, you know, there's some room for evolution, if you will, yeah. uh, when it comes to, and yeah, I, there are times when you might get down a road and you're thinking, this is where I'm going to be. And this is my vision for personal or for the organization that I'm leading. And then it changes a little bit, you know, yeah. everything changes over time. So uh, yeah, you've got to have some room in there for, for adjustments along the way. Yeah, for sure. So, so once you have a vision and you're moving people in the direction you want uh, or moving yourself in the direction you want, in your experience, what do great leaders do to maintain that direction? And how do they rally everybody around to, you know, be more productive and achieve those results? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I mean, there's lots of different kind of, I suppose, tactics or mindsets, if you will, behind that question or how to answer that question. Um, I've always been under the kind of, I've got to know you to grow you kind of concept. And so um, a lot of that requires time. You got to get to know somebody to understand how to help them get to the next level and either in their career or personally or whatnot. And I think um, when, when you don't know people, 
they don't feel known and they don't feel heard. They don't feel seen. And so they're less likely to uh, get behind and push, if you will, you know, whatever the vision is that you're trying to kind of create. And again, that could be as simple as a, a contributor to a team, or it could be a large organization. But I think really, you know, like, like I said, that, that know you to grow you mentality, spending time with people, I think is super important. I think really figuring out in your organization, how to create a process to communicate what success looks like. And so like in our organization, we've kind of um, taken a couple of different models from it, but, you know, we really try hard to create a, a basically a one page or a piece of paper that shows what success looks like. What are the motivations behind what we're doing? Why that initiative is important? What happens if we do that? What happens if we don't do that? Um, and then maybe a couple of different elements of what success can look like. And so one thing it does is it helps kind of broaden the, um, the way in which you can accomplish something. And so I've always been part of the mentality that there's probably like 300 ways to accomplish an actual task or project. There's not one, there might be Tyler's way, but, but for the most part, I, I don't, I'm not hiring people or bringing people into my team to give me Tyler's way. I want their opinions and their experiences. And I think we all end up with a better kind of product, if you will, by the end of that. And so figuring out a way to define success, I think is important. And then I don't know if people in the, you can look it up, but I think it's called the playground study. It was a study done, I think they redid it actually like in 2016, 2017, but essentially they had this group of kids at recess, you know, so that break in the day where they all get to run outside and go on the ball fields and everything. And um, they did it in one school. And for the most part, the the teachers that went out with them, the kids stayed real close to the teachers. They still played and they had fun, but they were real close to the teachers. And then in the other study, the same thing. And the only difference between the two was one had a fence and one didn't. And so the people that, you know, went and used the whole open field, those were the ones that had boundaries. They had a fence around the outside of it. They knew how far they could go and how far they couldn't versus the one that, you know, no fence, no boundary. They had no idea how far they could go or or how close they had to stay or what the consequences would be or whatever. And so I think, you know, the idea of that, pushing that into a company or organizations is just really as you're managing people, as you're running an organization, a team really understanding how to define what those boundaries are and what those, I call them guardrails for our organization. And so trying to keep people, you know, headed in all the right directions, but really providing a lot of context around what are the boundaries or guardrails that you need to establish to help them move forward. So much of this isn't about resilience. Much of this is about organizational building, team, team building, that kind of thing. But as you kind of bring in some of those, you know, resilience topics, if you will, and kind of say, okay, if you're spending time with people, what does that look like? Are you running some of those one-on-one meetings or those group meetings, department meetings to where you are acknowledging that, you know, mental health and the importance of some of those types of things. And as you're defining success, what does that look like? You know, does success mean, oh, I expect you to put a hundred hours in this week or is, or is there more realistic, you know, metrics you could kind of put what success looks like. Same thing with boundaries. You know, like we, one example is, is we, um, an organization early on, you know, it was, so much email communication all times of the day, trying to get response from clients and all these things. And pretty quickly we realized, oh, we need a communication policy so that everybody internally knows what our expectations are internally. So if a client reaches out to you in the morning, it's cool to get back to them in the afternoon. You don't have to get back to them in 20 minutes. And so that helped build what success looks like of communication. And I think that that's important because it does help manage everyone's um, internal expectations, their anxiety levels, the worry. I mean, all of us have logged into an email inbox and seen 150 emails or whatever. And in some ways, some people just get totally overwhelmed. They don't even know where to start, you know? And so just by figuring out ways that you can kind of organizationally put in some 
um, stop gaps, if you will, or processes or systems to help people through that, I think is uh, of great importance as well. I love all this talk about, you know, helping others and really being communicative and uh, setting people up for success and such. One of the areas I want to talk about, which may be a little more negative, uh, is what happens when, despite all our best efforts, your organization is in a position due to maybe market changes or the global economy is tanking and such, where your organization has to be in that unfortunate situation where you have to reduce workforce. So how can an organization, and as somebody who runs an organization, how does an organization and leaders really handle that in the best way possible? Yeah. Um, it's kind of like you just asked me, hey, here's a pretty crappy situation. And here's another crappy situation. Pick one. Uh, <laughs> it's the worst part about growing an organization, running a team, whatever you want to call it, is if you were forced to kind of be able to, you know, have, have to do that, have to, you know, basically take away people's jobs and whatnot. Um, I think one, one is just knowing that and acknowledging that as an individual and knowing that they're really, it's just not fun. Like you don't have to try to make it fun. You don't have to solve for it. You're not going to really be able to solve to make it better. Um, you're not going to be able to throw the right party so that that's the perfect, you know, exit for somebody. Um, you know, I think that in a lot of ways it's, you know, the idea of leading with context is really helpful. I think um, communicating to others on your team about why certain things were done in a certain way um, helps them understand. It might help them feel more secure about their job potentially because maybe you know another department was eliminated or something. Um, so I think leading with context, I think is super helpful in that. Um, I also think just leading with empathy uh, back to that concept is super important. Um, just knowing that, man, this stinks. I'm really sorry. This sucks. I mean, I, you know, just there is no great way about having to tell someone that it's their last day of work with you or that, you know, you're winding down something. Um, and, you know, and, and there's some incredible people I've been on, on the receiving end of binders chucked across my face and I have a scar on my face still from that. And I've been on the receiving end of people that are so full of kind of, I would call it grace in that moment that I'm almost in tears kind of, you know, uh, because they were so kind back to something I knew was going to be a tough message for me to deliver. And so I've seen kind of all the above and all in the in-betweens and, um, you know, none of those are great. Like all of those, you do feel like you kind of showed up and you're kind of, you know, putting a huge uh, bump in someone's life um, and that, that they're going to have to overcome. Um, for the most part, I think it's helpful to remember as a leader that they're going to be fine. They're going to land on their feet. You probably didn't hire a bad person, right? Uh, generally, there's a hiring process. Generally, there's a uh, a process to evaluate people that you that the, only the good ones get in. And so you're not letting someone go that can't ever get a job elsewhere. Um, they are hireable. Um, I think one of the mentalities for people to kind of adopt is, you know, whether someone's going to work for you for three months or three years or 30 years, um, running an organization in such a way that they would be better when they leave, whatever that looks like. They just would be either more trained, more equipped, uh, have skilled up in a certain way that they're more hireable or, or whatnot. And you kind of want them to, like, you kind of really do want them to succeed in that. Obviously, you'd hope they stay around forever. But if you are forced to kind of make that decision, I think those are a couple kind of guiding principles. It, it's hard. It's a hard question to answer because it's just it just stinks. It's not it's not a fun experience, I don't think, for anybody. But sometimes you have to do it. So no, I appreciate it. And I, as someone who's been on both sides of the uh, reduction yeah. in force, uh, you know, situation, uh, you know, and I know I, I appreciate you answering this. And thank you for that, because I know a lot of organizations are wrestling with this now or maybe I've just started going through this. Yeah. Uh, and. You know, it's important for the organization, I think, to have a healthy outlook, like you said, where 
you know, most people are going to land on their feet. And in many cases, uh, and I can speak to my experience from this is most people are going to land in a, in a much better place. You know, they're going to yeah. make more money. They're going to hopefully be happier. Yep. Uh, you know, most people are, uh, are do really well uh, after something like this, once they get past that initial shock. Yeah. I would say too, to add to that, just as the employer, you know, do make the decisions as fast as you can. If you know they're coming, don't wait. And uh, the reason I say that is because it's going to be beneficial for you because you're not dragging it out. And it's also going to be really beneficial for the person. Likely you're going to be able to maybe give them a, maybe a longer severance or a, at least a couple of weeks. You're not just saying, Hey, this is, you're done tomorrow, which helps them land on their feet, gives them a little bit of time and to get some other traction. So I think just making that decision sooner rather than later, a lot of organizations drag their feet as long as kind of, they almost drag their feet as long as they can. I would pitch the opposite of, you know, never, you know, never drag your feet on that kind of stuff. Make the decision as soon as you know it, even though it's yeah going to be challenging, make sure you have a plan all that good stuff. But at the same standpoint, it's, it is helpful because it's helpful for the employee to give them as much time as they, as they can to be able to land on their feet, wherever that is. Yeah, it makes great sense. And I think that's great advice. So before we wrap up this episode, what final advice or thoughts would you like to share with the audience? Oh man, this is like open canvas. I'd say a couple things specific to, I guess, my journey, but uh, be patient, um, learn to enjoy the process. There really, there isn't uh, anybody that I know that's been successful and I've gotten the opportunity to work with and meet tons of people that you would put on the high success like line. And it takes forever. It's not an overnight thing. I think for the most part, we all are so jaded by you know books we read social posts we read whatever that success came overnight all you got to do is these three things then you make millions and we all know that that's not true but we're all looking for that silver bullet sometimes and so the more patient that you can be kind of enjoying that process i think is super important um and then if you're anything like me like you're constantly moving the target and so because you're you know you're a high achiever likely and so you know, you kind of get close to the target, but it moves a little bit because you now have, you can see that target. And so I oftentimes when I'm setting goals, I'll go, Hey, if I can see how to accomplish this goal in the next six months, then it's not a big enough goal for me because the minute I can see how to accomplish the goal, I've moved it. And then you're never really able to get there. And so um, all that leads into really, you know, define what success looks like for you. Um, I think everybody needs to figure that out. You know, we live in such a culture that focuses on consumerism and and that's not bad. It's totally great. I love it. I love that people want to buy the, the next thing or want to have the next thing and it's bigger and better and newer and all that stuff. Uh, but usually really what that means is you just need more money to go buy those things. And so then you'll work harder or you'll want that next job. And none of that's wrong. I'm not here preaching something that that, that is wrong. But, you know, there's, um, I think most of us define or or led to define success based on our professional environment, our professional career, our money we make, or the size organization we run or whatever that, that looks like. And I think that there's a lot of other ways to define success. And I think that's a part of it because I do think that there's a reason that we all work and that there's uh, a reason that, you know, that is something that does bring value and kind of bring, helps us feel successful. And I think those are really important. But I think, you know, looking at like relationships and family and, um, you know, the mental health piece that we've talked about, fitness and nutrition, hobbies, recreations, community. I mean, I can list a bunch of other ones, but really just, again, making kind of like your, what does success look like for you? Um, I think I, I've talked to a couple of solopreneurs in the last um, couple of months, and it's been really interesting because I've asked, you know, what led you to do it? What, like, what are you trying to do? And the ones that 
you know, there's lots of them I've talked to that are, you know, oh, I'm, I can't wait to make $2 million and this is going to be awesome. And I'm building this and that's super cool. And those are great. The ones that stick out to me are the ones that go, oh, my goal is to be able to land these amount of clients with this kind of thing, this service, and then only work six months a year. And I'm like, oh, interesting. Tell me more. Cause you know, you're really, they haven't only valued one thing. They've really tried to figure out what a balance could look like. And so, um, so anyway, so define what success looks like, I think is, is really big. And that again, back to almost like creating like your vision for your life and your, your own person, personal life, I think is really important that that can take some time, but it will help you evaluate, Hey, I've done well, or I haven't done well, or, or, or whatever that looks like. And, and it's gotta be more than just finance. So. I concur. And yeah, one of the things I've been working on, it's a, always been a work in progress for me is just celebrating more, right? Giving yeah. yourself some grace and looking back and saying, okay, I might be moving that target and extending it out further at the same time, celebrating along the way that I am able to move that target out further. Totally. Most of us are horrible at that. <laughs> so it's important to work on. I love it. All right. Well, Tyler, thank you so much for making time in your schedule to talk with me today and share your thoughts and advice with our audience. If anybody's interested in learning more from you, where can we point them to? Yeah, I'd say two different places. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn. So if you check me out on LinkedIn, first name is Tyler, T-Y-L-E-R, and last name is Pygot, P as in Paul, I-G-O-T-T. Um, you can search me there and find me there. I'd love to connect and have conversations there. Um, and then the other is, is our, our agency website. So it's called Loan, L-O-N-E, Fir, F-I-R, like the tree, and then creative.com. So loan for creative. Um, those are two places to find me pretty easily. I'm on all the other social platforms, but most active on those two, web, the website and then on LinkedIn. Great. I'll add some information about those resources into the show notes. In closing, I'd like to take a moment and thank our listeners. We wish you the best of luck as you move forward on your leadership journey. Please check back regularly for additional episodes.